we are we're starting a new series. Uh, it's a it's a series, and you'll start to discover in a, in a few minutes why. This is a series that I've been looking forward to preaching here and haven't had the chance to preach here um, for the last six years. Uh, and so I'm nervous about it. Uh, if uh, I can just be vulnerable and honest with you, I'm really excited about what's going to happen over the next uh, month in the life of our church. This is going to be a month that for many, many years to come we're going to look back and talk about. Um, and if that isn't going to whet your appetite and make you a little worried, uh, I don't know what would. But um, let me just explain the title before I explain what we're trying to achieve. Uh, in this home, right, so you've probably got a friend or maybe you own one of those, um, they're usually black, uh, little posters in someone's kitchen that says, in this home we, and then it's got a whole long list of stuff, you know, these things, uh, and every single line is in a different font, usually. Uh, I don't always know why that is the case. Um, and, and then it says stuff like, like really wonderful, inspiring stuff. In this home we love big. And I, I didn't know you could love big, I always found that a bit confusing and then it says and in this home we and it, I don't know like do second chances and it's like no you don't do second chances you give second chances but that doesn't matter and, uh, and all of you are busy starting to work out how annoying it must be to go to dinner with me uh, and how much like Jesus Burnett actually is to be married to me um, and you know it says like we laugh often and you, you walk into the home and you're like well you didn't laugh at my joke that I told earlier and it's like they're, they're, but I get it right they're inspirational they're aspirational they're supposed to be something we're aiming at. And maybe you have one of those things on your wall, and that's really cool. They, they kind of set this cool idea of what we're trying to be like. Um, if you want to spiritualize it a little bit more, maybe what we're talking about is not just those generic lists of how your home is supposed to behave. Because I do always wonder, right, if that's what goes on in your home, where did you buy that? Did you make it yourself? No, you bought it from uh, you know, the builder's warehouse. Okay, great. How did the person who wrote that thing know that that's really what your house was going to be like? That those are the specific things that you were, you were aiming at as a family. But let's, let's make it more specific. So let's say um, that for this series, what we're really talking about is not just generic stuff that we want to be like in this spiritual home. Um, but there's, there's a fast fascinating moment in Exodus um, where Moses says, well, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And you might know that verse. It's on lots of greetings cards and things that you buy at Kumbuks. And um, it's this idea that, well, I don't know really what's going to happen in other homes, but in our household, we're going to serve the Lord. And I suppose if you were to combine those two ideas, that's essentially what we're trying to do over the next four weeks. We're trying to talk about and hear God on and get clear on what actually goes on in this home. And what is the future for this home? What are we moving towards? What are we trusting God for? What do we love about it already? Uh, and we know it's not perfect. Goodness me, we really know this is not a perfect church. Um, but what are some of the things that God has used this church for? Good. Um, what ways do we love it? What ways has it blessed us? What are we dreaming about as a family for this spiritual home going forward? And so if you're a visitor here, you've picked a really good time, actually, because you get to sort of eavesdrop on a kitchen conversation uh, where we're talking about who we are and what we're trying to turn into and where we're headed. Um, and if you are part of our church, or if you're even vaguely half-connected here, uh, then I'd love you to dial in for the next month um, as we really try to hear God on where he's taking us as a, as a home, so that we can, by the end of it, have our sort of hypothetical blackboard, which if I have anything to do with it, will only have one font on it, um, which will say, like, in this home, we do this. We're going there. We're trying to be X. Um, does that make sense? So this is supposed to be a bit of a like rally call, right? Here's where we're going, and here's what's happening next. And to let the cat 
out the bag. We are now finally talking about a building project. Um, and we, I couldn't even tell you quite where it's going to end up being. There are one or two different properties that are in the running. So this is a huge faith step, right? We don't even know the clear answers uh, to what we're saying. But if you're not aware of the story, about six years ago, um, Olive Tree down in Florida Road had life groups that met up here. Uh, and those life groups got stronger and stronger, meeting in uh, a guy called Dave Gould's house. Dave and Sam are still around here, but they're elders now, so they go to the other sites as well. Um, and that life group grew and got stronger uh, and ended up having such a great sort of weight of momentum to it that it made sense to stop telling all those people to drive up and down Fields Hill uh, and keep racking up speeding fines um, to go to church down there. But that we should, we should recognize that God was doing something up here in this neighborhood. And so they started meeting in that guy's house. Uh, and then for a while, we were doing like fortnightly meetings in Makaranga. Um, yeah, this church used to meet in Makaranga. Don't run a church in Makaranga the next time you plant one. Uh, it's dreadful. <laughs> um, especially, don't run a church every second week. That's the main learning, right? Because then no one ever comes because they assume it's happening the other week. Um, and, and after a little while, despite all those dumb, bad decisions, the, the life of God just would not die, even though we Christians ineptly tried to kill it. Um, and then we discovered that the country club uh, needed money and had uh, Sundays where not much went on. Uh, and so we started renting here from them. And it grew and grew to the point where now, if you've been around a while, you'll know that we've repainted the place and knocked down walls and taken over upstairs and taken over downstairs and have really like grown into the country club. And here's why this has been such a God thing. Um, we are so grateful to God for putting us here because it's forced us to learn how to do church in public hasn't it? It's like you have to be relevant and you have to be hospitable because golfers are going to wander in and eat our toast and drink our coffee and turn up halfway through sermons and not understand the context. And it's forced us to have to not be a little country club, right? A little Christian huddle that builds a church that is pretty unapproachable if you're not already part of that cult um, as the rest of the world sees it. And so it's been such a healthy thing to be in this public space. Um, and it's forced us to be a little bit nimble. And it's also, and you may not be aware of this, and this may not even really matter to you, um, but it's allowed us to, on the one hand, bless this institution that the neighborhood has been served by for so, so, so many generations. Uh, and the opportunity for us as a church to breathe life into this, create more foot traffic. We've allowed them to keep making money and keep their doors open and keep moving forward, and that's been a good thing. But also, it's allowed us to serve other institutions. See, doing church here has made us quite lean, uh, costs-wise, um, and that's allowed us to be really generous to getting a whole site planted in the North Coast that you guys indirectly funded. Uh, and there are people in, up the North Coast who know Jesus, who have a church that they call home, who can understand the gospel the way that Olive Tree been grace to describe it, in that area, who otherwise would not have been able to have a home church like that if it weren't for you guys. And it's allowed us to get behind Florida Road as they've recently been able to buy a building. I mean, the story in Florida Road, it was an in-here church, and then they were going through money troubles many years ago, sold off, sold off part of it to someone who was running a dodgy, weird, um, or something like voodoo masks and tribal this and that, like auction house. And we were able to get hold of the lease and then just recently we've been able to buy back the whole building that was originally intended for the use of the kingdom, now is once again owned by a church. Uh, and many of you actually donated directly to that. But even just by the fact that our church has been able to run so lean, we've been able to support the amazing things that have happened down in Florida Road where you've got this awesome cross-section of cultures and ages and races and all sorts of amazing stuff going on in Florida Road. And that's who we are. That's what our church is 
back. You know, our church is about making Jesus accessible to as many people as possible. And so it's been amazing to be here. But the tricky thing about a country club, as you may be aware, is that as much as it's a public space, it's actually not. Uh, there are a whole host of us who look at country clubs going, I don't know if I really fit in there. This is a, uh, this is a public space, but it's kind of an exclusive public place, isn't it? Country clubs communicate something quite different from what we communicate. And so we've got this dream to create a space that has all the wins of what the country club has been, but communicates who we are a bit better, allows us to do ministry better. And before I get into any more of this, I've never wanted to build a big church. I still don't. Um, And we don't want to just own loads of property for the sake of racking up huge overheads. That's not what we're going to be, right? That's not like this church isn't going to suddenly change. But there's this dream that I want to spend the next month explaining to you, where we could create something that actually represents who we really are, that is still a public place, that still makes financial sense, um, and that it can be something so beautiful and that serves this city uh, and this area of the city so well that five years, ten years from now, you'll be driving past going, oh my gosh, that, that landmark, our church was part of that. I can't believe God gave us such a creative idea. Um, and so that's the story. And before I go any further, I, as I said at the beginning, I, I'm nervous about this because there's a risk, right? Every time a church goes on some kind of faith journey like this, you can hurt the church. When you start saying, right, we're going to give some money, we're going to give some time, we're going to start praying, we're going to, you can break a good thing. Like, what? You know, don't change the team. It won last week. Keep the same players on, you know? Uh, let's just keep rolling here. It's comfortable. It works. We're blessing the country club. Come on, Paul. Why, why are you getting carried away? Please, I, I can't, I, I'm res- resistant to this idea for all those reasons that you might quote. So there's a huge risk. There's a risk to calling a church on a big faith journey, and then what if we don't quite get there, or we get halfway there, but it takes longer, or a builder runs off with the money, or all these kinds of things, or everyone starts going, well, it's actually just because Paul wants to drive a better Land Rover. You can't have a better Land Rover than the one I have. I'm good already. Um, But it's like... I understand all that skepticism. I've been that person going, yeah, I just, I don't trust you. This is just some empire-building effort of yours. There are all these reasons why this is a bad idea. But there are also so many reasons why just not moving forward is a bad idea as well. See, there's a fine line between humility and faithlessness. Interesting, right? You wouldn't necessarily put those two together. Humility is like not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. Faithlessness is not recognizing the glory that God's already put inside you. I mean, I look at this church, and we're going to tell stories over the next little while, and we're going to ask you and your life groups to tell some stories. There are people in this church who God has used in amazing ways. There are folks here who, if you were to connect with more at coffee afterwards, you would be blown away that this is who's in your church. The, the way that God has graced us with leaders, with, with great minds, with just cool people to be around, with faith, with healing stories and amazing, miraculous stories of stuff that's gone on, marriages that were on death's door that have been saved at the last minute, businesses that were on death's door that have been turned around. There's all kinds of incredible stuff going on in this church, and it feels like maybe we've stopped being humble and we're starting to be faithless if we just want to stay in our comfort zone and not really flex our muscles and expose what God is in us to the neighborhood. So that's the journey we're going to go on. But I'm nervous about this, not just because you can break the church, but also because there's a risk that this can be about me peddling some kind of vision to you. So I'm just going to not do that, right? As much as preachers, and you kind of know this, we sort of like being the center of attention. In this area, you just don't want to be the center of attention. You don't want people potentially giving money to something I've thought up, right? I I'm, couldn't be more terrified of anything than that idea. And so 
I'm going to read you a scripture, and I'm going to give you a kind of theological thought, um, and then we're just going to trust God to speak to all of us about what it is that he's thinking of, not what I'm thinking of, or what our elders are thinking of, or what the Olive Tree Brains Trust is thinking of, but we just need to hear from God. If he's in it, it'll happen, uh, and then there's no stress or pressure on anyone in particular, okay? So that's the great news, right? I'm about to start asking you for money, but don't worry, I'm also going to ask you for your time and your effort as well, um, and we're going to hear from God if that's even a good idea or not. Uh, and so this first theological idea is massive for me, and why I think this is actually a worthwhile thing to talk about, even if we weren't building a building. Do you know there are these kind of 1% efforts that can make a 100% difference, these, these small details that have inordinate effects? You might, if you've played cricket, know that this is, I'm told, because I was always hopeless at cricket and I wish someone had told me this, but apparently it's all about your front foot. That's the thing that makes all the difference, where you put your weight. If you get your foot to the ball, you'll hit a good shot. If you get foot, your foot somewhere else, you'll probably get hit a good shot by the ball. Um, but apparently it's all about your foot, right? And if you're a cyclist, then it's all about your head. And if you're trying to turn this way, but your head's going that way, your head always wins and the tree that, that you hit. And if you, yeah, there are all these, these sorts of things. If it's golf, there's no one thing. Apparently everything is hugely important. It's just an impossible sport because um, it's really important where your hand is, but it's also really important where your head is, and it's also really important which foot you have weight on, and you're supposed to not try and hit too hard, but it's called a club. <laughs> and anyway, so golf is just a, just a dark mystery, but what about, um, what about in cycling, right? Cycling, we said it's all about your head. Well, it's also apparently all about drugs, if you take the right drug. No. Um, <laughs> marriage. Marriage, there's some small things that make a huge difference. If you can crack the code of we don't need to agree, we need to understand one another, you're on fire. If you can start to figure out how to communicate needs as opposed to communicate judgments, you're on fire, right? There are these few small things, and if you can just get them, they make an exponential difference to what's going on. Scatter cushions, I think, as well, are just this. <laughs> so now, how about... What does the Bible have to say about small things that make a huge difference to the health of your heart? Now, your heart, if you're not aware, is the wellspring of life. Your heart is the most valuable thing you own. The state of it, the health of it, the inspiration levels within it, the security that you have, the connection your heart has to its great creator and father is the most potent thing you have to be responsible for. You're responsible for all sorts of other stuff, and we're often very irresponsible about the state of our hearts. Your heart, according to the Bible, is the wellspring of life. Every good thing comes out of your heart. The most dangerous thing you can do to your enemy, the most potent thing you can do on earth is just start to take care of your own heart properly. All right? So is there some small thing that can make an exponential difference to the state of your heart? Does the Bible have anything to say about this? Well, it does. It's got a huge amount to say about your heart. In fact, there are 2,000 verses on just this idea. I'm going to take one of them and make an example out of it. Matthew 6. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your front foot is, there the ball will go. Where your head is, there the back will go. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go. Small idea that makes an inordinate difference to the state of your heart. And you might be going, oh, don't pretend. You, I know what you're doing, Paul. You've just spoken about a building project, and now you're trying to pretend that this theological idea of giving money is a really important thing. 
as I said, even if we had no building project in mind, even if we had no next step in mind, even if we could do church for free and reach people and save them from hell for free for the rest of our lives and our money wasn't important for that, it would still be worth obeying a scripture like this. Because Jesus is saying the way you're wired, the most sensitive nerve in your body is the one that goes from your heart to your wallet. And where you're directing your finances is how you're directing your heart. And the health of your heart is the most important thing that you're responsible for. So this absolutely makes sense. And I'm so convinced that God needs us to go here because of how hard it is. Because of how hard it is. When we realized that there was a building project on the horizon, Bern and I had really, with great courage, one conversation. That's all we've managed to have so far. Hey, I'm thinking about how much we should give. Yeah, flip, that's quite a big faith idea. Great. And then I feel good because I've raised it, and so now it's Bern's job to raise it the next time, and Bern's feeling good because I raised it, and so it's my job to raise it the next time, and we've bravely not spoken about it again since then. It's so hard. It's like everything else is more important to talk about. Everything else feels more urgent. Everything else is more interesting. But this idea, what am I doing with my finance? What effect is my stewardship of my finances and my directing of my finances having on my heart, my most critical asset, and its faith levels and its inspiration levels? As I say, 2,000 verses in the Bible on money and possessions. That's a lot. By comparison, there are 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer. God is not polite. He loves you so much. He's saying, what's going on in your bank? affects what's going on in your heart. And what's going on in your heart affects your whole life more than anything else. So let's carry on with Matthew 6. There's this wonderful little anecdote about light in your eyes, which is a great thing for you to go and study. But let's skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. I've been privileged to have a bunch of conversations um, already with some people in our church about this idea of potentially buying some land and all the other stuff that we'll uh, explain in more detail later. Um, And every time I've had one of those conversations, I've been really hoping that the end result would be what sometimes is the end result. I can think of a guy called Rob Aitken. He won't mind me saying his name because now he's moved down to... Florida uh, olive tree in North Coast. He's part of that that community now. Uh, And I remember him sitting down with me going, I've just worked out that my income can serve the kingdom for the rest of my life, and my work is suddenly so much more inspirational. And it's really helpful for him that he had that realization, that his work became inspirational for him, uh, because he works for Tonga Hewlett, who are having like their worst two financial years in history and it's like death and everyone's freaking out and stressing there. And Rob's going, it doesn't matter because work's not for work. Work's so that I can generate an income and my income serves the kingdom of God. That's so inspirational. Every day I go to work and have to do some dumb report or travel somewhere lame or deal with some irritating boss. It's like elevated to something glorious now because the meaning of my life is to fund the kingdom. And he's a business guy, and he has the ability to make more money than most of us. And so you might be in a slightly different camp, and God may be asking you to promote the growth of the kingdom of God with different things, not with money. That's totally possible. But it's just so cool when you see that lights go on for people. Um, There are a few in this church I know who've recently gone, oh, I've worked out why it is that I'm able to make a bit more money than I necessarily need. It's so that my whole life can be about building the kingdom, and it's so inspiring. And what's being described to us here is that all of us, even if you're not one of those fancy big hitters, even if you're like, you know, we've just got a tiny little bit, you have this opportunity to love God with it or despise God with it. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's a bit harsh. But the way it'll play out is either you will hate money having a hold on you. You, you know that feeling, right? That worry, that stress, that 
consumerism, that Scrooge mentality that I've got to look out for number one. And you're just like, I'm done with that. I'm sick of that. I hate money having a hold on me. And in turn, you go, well, then I'm just going to try and love God enough to trust him. Or else it's the opposite. You get okay with the idea of money having a hold on you, and so then you despise the stuff that God says 2,000 times about it in the Bible. And those apparently, according to Jesus, are our only two choices. Love money, hate God, love God, hate money. It's so black and white. And here's why God gets so black and white about it. As I I mentioned, it's because he loves you. Here's how that plays out. Let's move on in Matthew 6. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Let's just pause there. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? The litmus test, the, the symptom of whether I'm free from money or not, and I suspect it's a bit of a dialogue, right? I suspect we're sometimes more free from money and then sometimes but less free from money, and sometimes it stresses out, us out more and sometimes less. I know that's the case for me. But the litmus test is always worry. Your God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to worry. Imagine, just imagine a life without worry. It's almost impossible. We do it so much. But there's a way to live that doesn't involve worry. And he's saying it's possible for you to live without worry. And it's when you start to recognize, but of course life is more than for food and clothing and cash in hand. Of course life has got to be bigger than that. And as you are able to set yourself free from the control that a consumeristic, capitalistic society has kind of set you up for, then worry can fall away. Worry can literally fall away. And I can't preach from a place of having got this perfectly right, goodness. But I like the idea, don't you? I like the idea of being free from money and therefore free from worry. And because God loves you so much, he's prepared to really make it black and white and really put the needle in and go, okay, well, love me or love it. Hate me or hate it. You have a choice and it's going to require some drastic action. And if you like the idea of a worry-free life, Well, there is a way to get there, and it involves loving God more than money and trusting Him fully. He continues, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the fields and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what do we eat, what do we drink, what do we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, I sometimes feel like Jesus was a bit heavy-handed with the why so little faith comment. It's like, Jesus, this is so hard for us. So hard for us to get our heads around the idea that you provide and we don't provide. This is like the difficult journey for every single one of us as we mature in faith. And Jesus goes, why do you have so little faith? Couldn't you work this out? And I was reflecting on that going, but he's so loving and so compassionate and Jesus was fully human, which means that he experienced all of this life just like you and I do. Why was he so insensitive on this topic? Because most of us preachers, right, we kind of tiptoe up to it and we're gentle and we say, hey, we know it's hard. And Jesus goes, it's not hard, it's obvious, trust God. And why do you have so little faith? I was thinking, I may not be right, but the one thing that Jesus had a huge advantage over us in even though he was fully human, is that he had a perfect revelation of his father. 
He knew his dad well, really, really well. Knew his dad clearly, knew his motives, knew his power, knew his intentions, knew the detail of his love. Jesus gets what our dad is like better than we do. And I suspect if we knew God as well as Jesus knows God, we would find it bizarre that people don't trust him. I suspect that for Jesus, knowing his dad as well as he did, the idea that we would like stress, will he look after me, won't he look after me, I'm going to just have a back, backup plan in case God doesn't come through. Jesus must have looked at that going like, that is nonsensical. If they only knew my dad like I know my dad, they would see just how ridiculous those backup plans are, just how weird that doubt actually is, just how irrational that skepticism really is. If they only knew my dad like I know my dad. And so that's what I want us to do first, before we have a conversation about fancy building plans and whether it's good for your heart or bad for your heart to give money away or steward it differently or tithe or whatever, all those other sort of technical money type conversations. I want us to be able to just know our Father the way Jesus did, where we'd be able to go, well, to not trust him would be mad. He's so good. He's so trustworthy. His love is so detailed. His care is so great. His heart is so pure. His motives and intentions are so trustworthy. It would just be crazy not to trust him. Why would you not trust him? I want us to be able to speak the way Jesus was able to speak. And so we're going to create a little bit of time as soon as I'm done for you to just connect with God. And over the next month, I'm just asking, as much as it's an easy topic to avoid, let's start to ask God to reveal to us through scriptures, through each other, how to trust him in the area of our finances, if our finances are the key to how the health of our heart goes. How would it look to trust God here? How would it look to move out of worry once and for all? What an amazing idea. And um, as we do that, I'm also going to ask that God gives us a sense of what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. That's how that ended. Don't stress about this stuff, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and he'll look after your needs. And when I think about our church and I think about our opportunity to make Jesus accessible to people and I think about the stuff that already goes on in this place, I mean, just the other day someone gave a car to Sia. I don't know if you heard that. And Sia, our youth pastor, just got given a car because someone just felt moved by the kingdom of God. I know that hundreds of people get meals when they're struggling because Christians who don't even necessarily have extra themselves. I know some of the people on the care ministry who absolutely don't have extra, who probably deserve to be getting care themselves. But in faith, they just make an extra meal and go and give it to those who are struggling. In this place, lonely find homes. Folks who got sick and tired of church found a way to reconnect with God here. When I think about all the ways that this community is able to make Jesus accessible, I go, well, of course we want to expand this. Of course we want to grow this. Of course we want to make this more available. And so not only are you asking God, give me a sense of how much I can trust you, but also I'd love you to be asking God, give me some kind of fight for what this community can turn into, what we have. Stop us claiming to be humble when in fact we're just being faithless and keeping good stuff in. And if we get this right, then in three Sundays' time, we're going to arrive, we're going to say, okay, we're going to give this bit of money, you're going to pledge to give some money over the next little while, I'm going to give some money, but I can pray every day, we'd love that, your prayer would be hugely helpful, I don't have a whole lot of money, but I'm going to come and push wheelbarrows when the time comes, thank you, that'd be amazing, whatever the case might be, I've got extra carpet, I'll cop, whatever, like, however it's going to work out, whatever God is going to do, some miracle's going to take place before us, but in, in a few Sundays' time, we're going to arrive saying, all right, I'm in for X over the next few years or over the next few months or however that's going to work. When that happens, I'm 
just expecting a party. I'm expecting celebration. We're going to have one service, 9 o'clock, we're going to go and jaw down on the cricket field, and I need you to know that even if by the end of this month, as God has worked in your heart, you choose not to give anything, for whatever reason, if we're going to get to the end of this, and you're not going to give a cent, I still want you to feel just as involved, I still want you to feel just as proud of what we end up doing, because this is your home, and in this home, we trust God. Is that okay? So let's, let's start to pray. It's so uncomfortable to talk about finance, and yet it's exciting to talk about the future of this church. We really want to see you do a miracle, God. We really want to see you build something beautiful that's going to bless generations in this neighborhood. We also really want to be safe and be cared for and not make ourselves vulnerable and the human mindset God if we're honest would be especially right now with political uncertainty would be to just hold on to double down to save to be cautious if you're calling us to something brave you're going to need to convince us we can trust you God And we know in our heads that you're trustworthy. We know in our heads that we're supposed to rely on you. But I pray that in your kindness right now, you would begin to reveal yourself to us. Our good father, the the dad who Jesus couldn't understand why people wouldn't trust. And over the next few Sundays, as we talk about what we love about our church and what we're trusting you're going to, grow and do with us and the ways that you're going to continue to change lives and as we celebrate what you've already done here and take notice of the things that you're building Lord I pray that we would be set free from worry and that you would give us the privilege of being able to be involved and to partner with you and to grow in faith, that we would be celebrating at the end, that you do something miraculous and expand and grow the resources that we have and if we're bringing our few little offerings, you turn them into something massive and we're able to to do something that is clearly to your glory, not ours. So come and show yourself. Every single heart in this room, Lord, I pray that you begin to show yourself to us. Win us over. Convince us of your love. Show us that we can rely on you. Teach us what it means to trust you and not to worry.